I'm going to read one verse this morning, verse number 44. And it talks about, the. this is the parable of the treasure in the field. Unless any fathers here, because it's Father's Day, think you're the treasure, let me go ahead and clear that up. You are not the treasure uh, of the field. Okay, we'll get that laid by right quickly. You're a blessing, but you're, this treasure goes much, much higher than man. Follow with me, Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. So far we have looked at four of our Lord's parables in Matthew 13. The first was the parable of the sower. There are some whose hearts represented in the soils. There are some who are receptive and retain the seed of God's Word and others who do not. And the Lord said to His disciples, That's the way My kingdom is unfolding. That's the way the kingdom is. Not everyone will receive and not everyone will believe. Then we looked at the parable of the tares where Jesus taught that His kingdom would be mixed with both unbelievers and believers. The field is the world. Jesus said in this world where the kingdom is preached and the kingdom is proclaimed, Jesus said there will be both believers and unbelievers. The disciples thought that once Christ came and began to preach, following John preaching the kingdom, that everything would just immediately become the kingdom. But Jesus said, no, there are tares among the wheat. Then He gave that warning that you're to let them grow together. I'm the Lord of the harvest, Jesus said. I will separate the tares from the wheat. Last Sunday morning we looked at two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. In the parable of the mustard seed, we are taught by our Lord that the kingdom begins small. It's despised. It looks very insignificant and inadequate. And yet it becomes a tree that birds can come and lodge in. And then from the parable of the leaven, we learn that in the kingdom there is a power, a power that works underneath. Man does not have to manipulate. Man does not create the kingdom. The kingdom is not made by clever preachers and evangelists who can cause people to want to make a public profession without the power of conversion. No, the kingdom is like leaven. Once it's put in, it has the power to work and to accomplish silently and slowly exactly what God wants done. This morning we come to Matthew 13, 44. And although this parable and the next two are connected, we will just look at the parable of the treasure. I proved last Sunday you shouldn't try to do two of these, so we'll just look at one of these this morning. I have mentioned several times, on a, I know I've mentioned it here occasionally, that there is a man that has some video on YouTube who operates heavy equipment for a living. I usually watch his videos once a week or so if he has them posted. He is a master. He is an expert in my opinion, at operating excavators, track hose, back hose, bulldozers, anything that moves dirt, he can move it with absolute precision. It would be one thing to stand in an operating room and 
see a surgeon as he opens up the body, the body and in those small parts is able to do surgery. You have to respect that kind of talent and that kind of giftedness uh, and ability. Although I can't watch that, I wouldn't be, I'd probably be one of his patients if I tried to watch that. But it is interesting also for me to see a man uh, take a two or three thousand pound bucket of metal uh, and be able with jaws on that bucket to reach down and pick up a small balloon full of air and move it and not even bust it. That is absolutely amazing. I'm fascinated by that. I was watching him last week and he was digging a pond for a landowner, preparing a pond. And as he came up with a large scoop of dirt, cans began to come out of the ground. Obviously, there had been people that had buried things there over the years on this old farm, as all of us used to do, and the older men here can, rem can remember. Now you get arrested for those things, but we all used to have a gully or a place where we buried things. But what caught my attention was when he put the graveling, to the graveling end of that bucket down, he, he pulled out an old can of Texaco Haveline oil. My grandfather running a Texaco station all of his life, that caught my interest. I collect some of that stuff, not much, but just some of it. And he held it up to the camera, and there it was. It said, Haveline oil. For him, it was an oil can. For me, that was a treasure. I would have loved to have said, send that to me. I can clean that up and put that on my shelf in the study. Send that to me. It was a treasure. Why? Because I valued it because of the connection it made to my childhood and also to my grandfather. For someone else, it was just an oil can that was buried somewhere in the ground. In this parable, our Lord is talking about a man who went into a field. That's the context of this parable. Be careful how you try to stress details in a parable. You can get off track rather quickly if you try to make everything symbolic of something. Take the parable for what it is or the story for what it is within the context. Remember these parables. The Lord used parables for two reasons. He used them to conceal from certain people the truths of the kingdom, and He used them to reveal to certain people the truths of the kingdom. That's what He said out of His own mouth. And He's using these stories to help His disciples to understand that the kingdom is not going to happen like you think it is. It's not going to happen like maybe you supposed or wished that it would. He said it's going to happen like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a sore. The kingdom of heaven is like tares among wheat. The kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed or eleven. And he said here, he said the kingdom is like a man who goes out into a field. And it says in the text in which he's out in the field and he hath found this treasure. He finds this treasure, some treasure, something of value, something that is worth something that is hid in this field. When he finds it, not being the owner of the field, he places it back, he hides it back in the earth, and then he goes and sells everything he has, much like the, the next parable, the pearl of great price. He sells everything that he has and goes back and purchases that field from the owner so he may possess that treasure. For whatever reason, while he was in the field, whether he was working in that field or walking through that field, he found a hid treasure. I mentioned the word hid last week. It's that Greek word, crypto, which comes from that, uh, that cryptic word that we use in the technology world. It means to hide or to conceal. For whatever reason, the previous landowner or the landowner before them had hidden some great treasure of value in this field. And this man has 
found this treasure. And now because of the value of it, he is willing to sell everything he owns, get rid of everything that is of any value to him in order that he might possess this treasure. Before we go any further, in case your mind is churning, I want to assure you that what this man is doing is not illegal in that day, neither is it unethical. As a matter of fact, the rabbinic law gave him the right to do what he did. Most of us would think, well, if I found something in your field, instead of buying it so I could get the value, I would try to let you know about it. This culture was totally different. This man is doing nothing unethical. He is doing nothing that breaks the law of God or the law of the land. As a matter of fact, this story was a very common story and a very understandable story in Jesus' day. It would not have been uncommon for people to bury their family treasure or their personal treasure. You remember Jesus talked about, uh, about the man who had his, had his wealth hid and people would break through and steal. You know, lay not up treasures for yourself on earth. Jesus said if you lay them up on the roof of your house or up somewhere, men can come in and get those treasures. And here, for whatever reason, the landowner had buried this valuable treasure. He had hid it in order to preserve it. It was not uncommon in that day. You can, you can look at the Old Testament when the Philistines would come in the land of Israel or the Assyrians or those armies of old. They would ravish the people's homes and they would steal their treasures and so often those treasures would be buried. If you know anything about the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls years ago, those were found in a cave. Someone had hid them there and they lay there for years until that young man went in there and found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So in spite of what you may be thinking, there's nothing uncommon or unusual about burying that treasure. In spite of our banks and our safe deposit boxes and our home safes or even our wife's pocketbooks, some of, some of you have things buried in places or hid in places. We've done so because they are valuable to us. They mean something to us. And so we don't want them to be exposed to the common uh, traffic of life. Remember in verse 36 of our text, Jesus has sent the multitudes away and He's now inside the house where they ask Him to explain a couple parables to them or the parable to them. And now Jesus is continuing to teach them to correct their misunderstanding about the kingdom. And we have a lot of misunderstandings today about the kingdom. We have a lot of misunderstanding about salvation. We have a lot of misunderstandings about conversion and about what it really means to be a Christian. We in this culture have almost been taught, we've almost been preached to the point that where we accept if a person comes and makes a public profession of faith, be it in, a, in the front of a church or in a Sunday school class, at a Bible school or even somewhere at an outside meeting, and they make a profession of faith, we accept that as genuine and valid, although they spend the rest of their life living for themselves and doing their own thing. Jesus is saying here that when a man truly comes to the kingdom of God, when he truly comes to Jesus Christ, he will value that kingdom above everything else that is happening in life. Jesus says, I want you to not misunderstand what I'm preaching. I want you to understand the truth of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. 
He said, I want you to understand that not all of that multitude that followed me when I was healing and feeding them and working miracles in their sight, not all of that crowd that moved, Jesus said, they have no value of my kingdom. Jesus said, those who truly understand the treasure of this kingdom are those who understand the value of it and the worth of it to them and to their soul. He wants them to know that. Now here's the point of this parable. This is the point of this parable. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that losing everything on earth to get the kingdom is a glad and joyful trade-off. Did you notice this man, joy, for joy he sold? You say, well, he was happy because what he had was valuable. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. But don't think of that in a negative context of what you may be thinking through your, your mind that sometimes, well, that was worth more. That's exactly what I'm preaching this morning. Is heaven not worth more than hell? Is the kingdom of God not worth more than the kingdom of man? Is living in light not more valuable and worthwhile than living in darkness? Is having eternal life, is that not worth more than having a life of drudgery and sin and that will end in condemnation and wrath? Well, yes it is. And Jesus said, I want you to understand that the kingdom is far more valuable. And it's so valuable that you should be willing to lose everything you have and give up everything that is of any value to you in order to enjoy the treasure of that kingdom. Now, what is this kingdom of heaven? Well, it's the, it's the reign of God. It's the reign of Christ. Just applied to you and me sitting here this morning, the kingdom of heaven is the reign of God and Christ's triumph over everything that stands between sinful man and God. Now, we use the kingdom of heaven and salvation sometimes interchangeably, but the kingdom of God means that God made it possible for everything that stood between sinful man and holy God to be removed so that sinful man could now be made righteous and be in the presence of a holy God. I don't know about you today, but brother, that's the most valuable thing that I know about on the face of God's earth is that God made a way for a holy God and sinful man to be reconciled and to be made right with Him. Do you value that? Do you value that? Is that worth anything to you this morning? The kingdom of heaven is when you have the rule of God in your life through the new birth and conversion through the power of the cross and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when Christ rules. Everybody's got a profession. Everybody's got a baptismal date. But very few people have the rule of God in their life on a day-to-day -day basis. Every day, all day, throughout the week, the months, and the years, they have to go back and dig out an old Bible and ask Grandma when they made a profession. Listen, the kingdom of God means that He rules and He lives and He reigns in our hearts this day because He has birthed us into His kingdom. The treasure. What is this treasure? It represents the value and worth of the kingdom of God. Just look at the word, treasure. If I were to ask you today, just, if I were to go around this room today and I were to say, tell me something that is a treasure to you, 
in this world? There would be, there would be probably as many different answers as there are people here today. For young children, it would be something that they highly value, and that may change tomorrow. But for some of us, it is other things. I, I mentioned just an old can a while ago that would make that is, would be valuable to me because of the memories and the attachments and the things. It may not mean anything to anyone else. But brother, I'm troubled by people today who claim they know Christ and they don't value Him. They don't value His church. They don't value His Word. They don't value His people. They don't value prayer. They don't value faithfulness. They don't value holiness. They value nothing. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. When a man finds this treasure for joy, he's glad to get rid of everything else he has in life in order to obtain it and in order to have it. It could be nothing of any greater value. Let me ask you, what is the worth, what is the value of having Almighty God say to you through the Word of God that I have exercised all my wisdom, all my power, all my love, all my patience, all my long-suffering, and all of my grace to provide for you a salvation that will make you right with me. What is the value of that? Well, if you've never seen yourself as a sinner, that ain't worth a dime to you. But if you've ever seen yourself as a sinner, there is nothing that's more valuable than that. Almighty God did everything that needed to be done in order to take sinful men and women like you and I and make us right. And He done all of that through pouring out His wrath and judgment on His darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. Personally, this morning, I cannot think of anything more valuable. And yet we read in the Scriptures about the rich young ruler. Listen to Mark 10, 21 and 22. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now you would think that anybody in their right mind would say, what an offer, what an opportunity that I can take everything that I have and get rid of it and come to Christ and be blessed to be saved and take up my cross and follow Him. This is an educated young man. This is a man who's fairly wealthy. This is a man who has succeeded in every walk of life if you read his story. But listen what verse 22 of Mark 10 says. And he was sad. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Preacher, what was he sad about? He was sad when Jesus said, you got her all nailed down in every category except one. He said, you've never admitted that you're a bankrupt sinner. You've never admitted that you have nothing to bring me. And Jesus said, get rid of all of that and come to me and I'll give you everlasting life and I'll give you a cross to carry and I'll give you a road to travel and I'll give you everything you need. But he was sad and he went away. He was sorrowful. He was like someone who just had a death in the family because Christ requires more than just a mere profession of faith. He requires more than just a feeling of conversion. He requires a change. He requires an admission and a confession of our guilt and sin before 
God and then faith in His finished work on the cross. And that's the reason so many people are sad and grieved today who think they are Christians is all they've done is said publicly, I believe He's Christ. And everybody uh, shook their hand and hugged their neck and put them under water and set them on a journey and they're all by themselves. The kingdom of heaven isn't like that. The kingdom of heaven is when a man sees that treasure, he finds that treasure and he values that and he joyfully and gladly lays aside everything that he is or has in order to be saved by God's grace. That is biblical salvation. Look at the text again in verse 44. He does this for joy. For joy sells all and buys the field. Now let me warn you again, this is not teaching that you, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let me just, let me just go ahead and deal with that. What, what does this not mean? Some people get a totally wrong interpretation of this because they, they say it's Jesus teaching that you can buy. He's not teaching that this man found salvation on his own. It's not teaching that he bought it with his money. How do we know that's not what Jesus means? Because the Bible tells plainly that's not how you get salvation. Jesus is not saying that the kingdom can be bought. How do we know that? Well, number one, we know that for the following reasons. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't say blessed is the rich man because he can earn his way in there. Jesus said the man who admits he is bankrupt spiritually. All across this congregation are people who have varying degrees of wealth. And it may be some may be high, some may be low. For those of you that think it was high, if you checked your stock since Friday, it may be a lot lower than what you think. We all come from different degrees and backgrounds in that regard. But we don't get into God's kingdom on either side. We don't get into God's kingdom because we're poor and make 18000 a year. We don't get into God's kingdom because we're rich and make $88 million a year. We get into God's kingdom whenever we are broken and bankrupt in spirit. Whenever we admit to God that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Whenever we admit to God we have nothing good to bring to the table. Whenever we admit to God that we have nothing to claim His grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit for Jesus to have said that and then tell this story, meaning that a man could buy his way into the kingdom. That would be a contradiction and we know it's not. Secondly, the kingdom requires a childlike reception. As a matter of fact, if you look at the wording of verse 44, it's like this man becomes a child. You become like that occasionally, don't you? I hope you still do. It kind of puts a little kick and a little zest in life. You become a, joy, a, a child again. This man's out in the field. He, he finds the treasure, and then he's glad. He's rejoicing again. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 10, 15. Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. This is not about some, uh, some bright man going in a field intentionally looking for a treasure to make his own riches and make his own self worth something. No, this is a man in everyday life who finds something surprisingly and it's there and he sees the worth of it and he knows the value of it and he is just glad. He is just thrilled. Could I just say this to you today? If you ever see how lost you have been and now you are saved, did that not bring joy? Did that not bring a rejoicing? You know why people don't rejoice in that anymore? Because all they did was just make some profession. Their life never changed. And they were thinking that they were going to live on that emotional, that emotional roller coaster they was on whenever they was in a service or in a setting where all the fireworks were going off and then they walked out this door and the fireworks died and their joy died, and their victory died, it's because they never understood who they were and who God is. 
You see, this man for joy sells all that he has and buys the field. Thirdly, the kingdom is received freely, not by purchasing it. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, tell him the disciples, raise the dead, cast out devils. Listen to what he said. Freely ye have received, freely give. The kingdom of heaven is a free gift of Almighty God. So don't trip over the details of this parable. The theme and the point of it is, this man found something more valuable and worthwhile than anything he had ever had in life. And he was willing to lay everything he was and had and is, he was willing to lay it aside in order that he may belong to Christ. Are you willing to do that this morning? If you are, salvation is available. What does it mean? It means the kingdom is freely given to those who want it more than anything else in life. The, the, the question is, how much do you want it? Some people want church attendance and they got it, and that's all you've got. Some people want church attendance with a little upbeat every now and then, and they get that. Some people want to feel good about their lost condition, and there's places you can go that'll make you feel amazingly wonderful about your lost condition. There's places designed to do that, built for just that. But Jesus is saying here, if this truly means anything to us, if you value the Word of God, if you value the Gospel, if you value Jesus Christ, you're willing to lay aside everything to follow Him. In this parable, the treasure was valued so much by this man that it says for joy. That means with delight, cheerfulness. Actually, the word here means, the word joy means calm delight. He is so calm and delighted because the value of what he found, he's willing to sell everything so he can buy the field. Now, I doubt if this man, any more than you or me, I doubt if he ever had a full grasp of the magnitude and worth of the treasure. But he knew it was worth more than anything he had in the house. He knew that. And he knew what was in that field was worth more than anything he possessed. So in his mind, it's this. Go ahead, call the realtor, put the house on the market. I, I'm giving up everything in order to buy this field so the treasure will be mine. He was willing to sell everything he had. And for him, it was all done out of extreme joy. Not the temporal emotion of, I'm going to be rich. But no, the extreme joy of the change in his life. Where do you get this kind of joy? What made this man delight in all of this? Well, the answer is you must be born again. You, you can't come up with this kind of value of the kingdom when you're sitting there in your lostness. You don't value that. You must be born again. No one is searching for the kingdom. No, nobody's out looking for the kingdom. Nobody is out beating on doors this morning saying, uh, you know, when can I, when can I get saved? That, that, that's not happening. No man, no sinner seeketh after God. Now when, now when God does the work in a man's heart, yes, yes, he will seek, he'll cry out, he'll call for salvation. But no one has this kind of joy over the treasure until the work of God is beginning in their heart. And that is what Jesus is telling his disciples, my kingdom is not just about people being excited over loaves and fishes, excited over miracles, and excited over my teaching, and excited over the scenery and all that I'm doing. Jesus said the kingdom is not about that. It's about those who see the Father's Son, the Lord Jesus, and see the, the value and the worth that is in Him. You folks do know we have the only 
Savior there is. Right? You do know that? As much as I'd like to get a hold of a Havilene can, somebody will listen to me on, on, on this broadcast whenever it goes out, and they, they may text or send me and say, I've got ten of them, what's the big deal? You see, that's the way people look at there, Listen, there's only one Savior. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given whereby we must be saved. Church, Christ is our joy. He is the value and the worth of everything we sing about, preach about, testify about. He is the center of it all. He is the attraction of it all. This is about Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians, when I came to you, I didn't seek to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I didn't come down there to hear what Apollos thinks about theology. I didn't come to hear what Cephas or He said, I came to know one thing, and that was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Church, that's our treasure. That's our joy. It is Christ and Christ alone. How different this man is from the day. People today who say this, oh no, preacher. I got saved, but do I have to go to church? Oh, oh no, preacher. Do, I, you mean I got to read my Bible? Oh no, preacher. You, you mean I really should pray every day? You mean I need to be in a Sunday school class or a prayer meeting or something? You mean I need to be growing in something? No, I got this nailed down back there in 48. I got this nailed down at Bible school in 79. I don't need anything else. I'm nailed till I get nailed. I'm nailed. No. The man in the field found a treasure and he's willing to sell everything between birth and death. Whatever he has, whatever he possesses, he's, he's ready to get rid of it all that he might have this unmeasurable treasure of Jesus Christ. Now some of us are sitting here today and say, yeah, I can see that, preacher. I can see where an old drug addict would want to get rid of all that. Yeah, and come to Christ, yeah. Yeah, preacher, I, I can see where an alcoholic would want to get rid of all his old, what he has. He ain't got nothing anyway, bless his heart. He's drunk at all. I can see where he'd want to get rid of all that and come to Christ. That's a better deal. Yeah, preacher, I can see where the man or woman in adultery would want to get rid of all that and come to Christ. Let me tell you something about the kingdom of God. It works both the same in the positives and the negatives. See, we live in a country now that is so rich and so blessed that we don't have anything to get rid of. We've been preached this health and wealth gospel for so long that we think the gospel is only for the drug addict and only for the pervert and only for the child molester and only for those. I just read to you a while ago about the rich young ruler. The gospel is for the wealthy. The gospel is for the successful. The gospel is for the rich and those who have everything. It may be easier for a drug addict to give up what he's got because he don't have anything but the clothes on his back and the cot uh, that the ministries give him. But for him to give up my houses and my lands and all the wealth that I have, but I want to tell you that's the only way you value the true kingdom of God. Every man that Jesus called to follow him did not come out of the slums. Most of them came out of the suburbs and the country clubs. They were wealthy. They had the jobs. They had positions but they were willing to lay it all aside for Jesus Christ. It was a happy sacrifice. Church, this is a no-brainer. This is a no-brainer. If you understand that you're a sinner and that one day in the not-so-distant future you will be in the flames of torment and you will be suffering the punishment of the wrath of God for all eternity where your soul will never die and you'll be in blackness of pain and suffering 
with other sinners for all eternity, and then you see the treasure of Jesus. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? Sell all you have. Lay aside everything. Oh, what if that story after Jesus told the rich young ruler, and he had said, Master, I bring it all to you. But no, he was sad at that. He was grieved at that. And people are still like that today because most sinners believe the wealth they have has been given to them because God favors them. That's what's been preached. No, we're all sinners in need of God's salvation. And we have to see that. It requires all that we have. And do you know all we have? Let me tell you. I mentioned the drug addict. He's got a, he's got a suit of clothes maybe a bunk bed to sleep in tonight and a free meal tomorrow. No money in his pocket. He'll have to steal to get money to get drugs tomorrow. That's all he has. He gives that away to follow Christ. And maybe the rich man, he's got a house, wealth. He's got more money than he'll ever spend in his life. He'll leave it to two generations coming down. But if he, come, if he gets into God's kingdom, he'll have to give all of that to Christ and take up a cross just like the drug addict and follow Jesus. But let me tell you this, whether it's the, it's the one suit of clothes, whether it's the bunk bed and the meal, or whether it's the yacht and the big house and all the acreage, you put them all together and mix them up and they all come out filthy rags in the sight of God. Nothing is contributed to your salvation. The treasure is Jesus Christ. I love this story. This man is not kicking rocks or complaining. He's not saying, man, I'd like to have this field, but goodness, if I do, I've got to sell this, I've got to get rid of this. I got... No, he's doing this out of extreme joy. I want to close in case you think, I've never heard anything like this, preacher. Turn with me to Ephesians, or excuse me, to Philippians, if you will. We're going to read there and then I'll be, I'll be done. Turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. And when you get there, find verse number 4. Remember in the, parable, in the parable that I just finished reading and preaching, you've got a man who's got a bunch of stuff. It talks about all that he has. That's what's in the text. So he's got things. Whatever those things were, it doesn't tell us. But he, he, he took all that he had. He had a bunch of stuff. Whatever that was, he was willing to take whatever he had whether it's like the drug addict, nothing but clothes in a bed, or whether it's like a rich young ruler, got everything any man could want. This man in the parable was willing to take all he had, sell it, get rid of it, so he could take that money and purchase that field which had the treasure. So keep that in mind as I'm about to read. you got a man who had all these things, willing to give it up to get a treasure. I'm going to read to you about a man who had a bunch of things, and he was willing to give it all up for the treasure. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 4. Here's all the stuff that Saul of Tarsus had. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he tells us the stuff he has. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, Persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. And I guess this was his big one, blameless. That's all the stuff that he has. But one day on Damascus Road, the treasure appeared. 
And look what he writes in verse 7. But what things were gained to me. In other words, the stuff I just read, those things that he valued most in his life. Brother, to be of the tribe of Benjamin, man, that's, you can't get any better than that. To be a Hebrew of the Hebrews, to be a Pharisee, and be blameless when it comes to the law, this man is on top of the world until the treasure appeared. And now he says in verse 7, those things that were valuable or gained to me, now I counted loss. And he tells you why. For Christ. That's the only reason Saul of Tarsus became Paul. For Christ. This is not about being religious. This is not about joining a church. This is not about being a part of a social religious group. This is about a treasure. This is about someone and something more valuable than anything else in this world. And that is eternal life. Are the truths of Matthew 13, 44, are those truths, are those things true about your relationship to Christ? Do you value Him more than anything? There are so many things this morning tugging at us to be the priority of our lives. Everywhere you go, somebody's telling you some priority that you must be. I, sometimes I feel for young people who go, to, who go to all these places in the summer and every preacher tells them a different priority that they ought to have in their life. And most of them are good things. But let me say to our young people, your priority is Jesus Christ, period. Jesus Christ. I want to be like Daniel. I want, to have, I want to be able to stand like Daniel. Then take up your cross and follow Jesus. You say, I want to be able to flee from temptation like Joseph. Then take up your cross and follow Jesus. You say, I want to be wise like Solomon. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. I want to finish my race with, with joy and victory like the Apostle Paul did. Then take up your cross and follow Jesus and value Christ more than anything or anyone. The Lord Jesus says that His people, the true believers, the true citizens of His kingdom, they value that kingdom and they are ready to give up everything in order to obtain it. Just before we pray, Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3 says this. I forgot I wrote, jotted this verse down. That their hearts might be comforted being, being knit together in love and into all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And then Paul says this. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What I just preached to you about Daniel, Joseph, Paul, all that... That was not just a preacher's soundbite. Paul just said, In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is who we value. The kingdom of heaven is not like we think it is in many ways. Here's the way it is. It's like a man who has stuff. Good or bad, he's got stuff. He's got some money. He's got, and he's out in a field and the treasure... He finds this treasure, and he values that so much that he's willing to sell everything he has and buy the field 
so he can own the treasure. Nothing sinful, nothing unethical, nothing illegal about that story. It's just about how this man values what he's found. What about Christ? Do you value that? If so, repent of unbelief, call on the name of the Lord, and be saved. And then take up your cross. And don't follow the Baptists, don't follow the Methodists, don't follow this group or that group. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. After all, it's His house we're going to, isn't it? Follow Him. Father, I want to thank You this morning for this privilege to be together. I want to thank You for the Word of God. Lord, it is truth without any mixture of error. Lord, I thank You that more brilliant, brilliant minds, more learned men than I have plowed in this verse for decades and, and come away with more and different, and just a variety of things. But Lord, it was in my heart this morning to magnify You and the value of You and Your kingdom. Lord, a kingdom can only be as valuable as the King. And Lord, we know that Your kingdom is worth what it is because it's Yours. And I want to thank You for giving us, who belong to Your kingdom, for giving us freely the new birth and the invitation and citizenship into Your family. For those who are sitting here today protecting what they have, and they're willing to give up a few hours on Sunday, but and maybe a few hours through the week to do a Bible reading or a prayer with the kids, I pray this morning this parable, the words of this truth, would press deep in their heart, and You'd help them and me and all of us here this morning to ask ourselves and let the Spirit of God show us how we truly value Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel in your kingdom. Help us, Lord, as we sang a while ago and as Paul wrote, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I pray for our young people. You'd help them to take up their cross. Help them to take their education and go as far as you will use them with it. Help them to take up what they know about things and use it as best they know how to use it. But Lord, don't let them go through life with that stuff without taking up your cross. Help us all to do that. Help this church to take up the cross and follow you. Thank you again for the privilege to be here for all of these fathers that are here today. What a great responsibility and accountability we have with our children. Some of these young men are are sitting beside and holding their first child. Some men are here today grieving because they've buried their sons and daughters over the past months. Wherever we are in life, whatever position we hold as fathers, help us, Father, to be biblical men that would honor You. Help us, Lord, to make much of Christ. We love You. Thank You for saving us. I pray as we go our separate ways now, You'd watch over us. And as Kim sang a while ago, may we day by day trust in your protection and your blessing and your guidance and your grace. Have your way now in every heart. We'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.